I'm the A. And I'm the B. And this is where we talk about the C. Welcome to ABC Crime Podcast. So, Batty B is on the case today. Are you ready? Yeah, let's bang it out. Okay, so starting with the ABCs, A for alias. She doesn't have one. Ooh, it's a girl. Legit. A girl. Okay. <laughs> B is for body count. One. C for crime, murder, by stabbing, plus other things. Eek. I don't know if I want to know the other things. Too bad. Okay. This continue. is a true crime podcast <laughs> and you chose to be here. So. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. I'm okay. just preparing myself. Okay. So before we get into the nitty gritty, let me ask you which of the following statements best describe your relationship with your mother-in-law? Number one. How blessed we are, how fortunate we've been that you are his mother and also my friend. Two, be kind to your mother-in-law, but pay for her to stay at a good hotel. Three, dear mother-in-law, I don't need you to teach me how to handle my children. I'm living with one of yours and he needs improvement. (laughs) Honestly? I'm very fortunate to have a great mother-in-law, so I would have to lean more towards one because she really doesn't tell me how to uh, raise my kids. She doesn't. She doesn't really get into our business. That's nice, and they're close, so you would think she would be all up in your business just because of location, right? Right. Well, and she would never stay at my house, ever. Right. So that's nice. You don't ever have that issue. Right. And I've met your mother-in-law. She was great. So yeah, I, she I is knew, great. I knew what she would choose. Yeah, she was great. My mother-in-law. She is great. <laughs> yeah, what's <laughs> happening? Is this story about you? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I would probably say mine is two. Because I could go to three because... He could use improvement. I don't think it's her fault, though. So (laughs) that's why I don't go to that statement. Uh, I like my mother-in-law. She's fantastic. When I had my first baby, she actually stayed with us and helped me quite a bit. No one in my family, like, breastfed. And I tried breastfeeding. And so she stayed and actually helped me. And she saw my boobs. And that was weird. So I don't know if we bonded for, like, a hot minute. Oh, my gosh. My mother-in-law and my mom, they saw me give birth. No way. Nope. Wasn't having that because. Yep. Just wasn't. Anyways. So (laughs) she's fantastic, but I'm glad that we have space. Um, But it's kind of maybe we would have a better relationship if we were closer. You mean living wife? Yeah. Like Like if she. Proximity wife. mm -hmm, Because I feel like sometimes every time I see her, because it's like maybe every few months, it's like we're meeting again for the first time. You know, there's not that like comfort in a way. Um, I have that with my own mother. Yeah. 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 So and my husband, we live like so close to my parents. So I feel bad because it's like selfish on my part. So 
But I mean, it's not your fault that they live further away. No, but it is my fault that we live super close to my parents. So sorry about that, (laughs) husband. (laughs) Okay, so moving on. Now that we've established that mother-in-laws can be a blessing and they can sometimes not be. Right. Okay, so jumping into the story. April 3rd of 2013, two officers were dispatched to the Tanger Meadows apartment complex in Colorado Springs, Colorado, on a noise complaint. The complaint had been called into the department by the maintenance manager who was actually contacted by the tenants that live under apartment H in the complex. The below tenants of the complaint of noise and things being thrown from the balcony. I'm not really sure what was being thrown from from the balcony. It could have just been like whatever was in reach. It wasn't anything like nefarious. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like bodies. No, no, not bodies. (laughs) Wow. After after your um, mother in Utah throwing her children off a balcony. You just had to make sure. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. (laughs) When they arrived at the apartment, the occupant of building H was standing outside on the balcony. The officer spoke to the female occupant and she said that she was alone and there was nothing wrong and she wasn't sure why they were even called. Maybe it was another apartment. So at this time, one of the officers got her name. They went and put her information into their database to make sure that she didn't have any outstanding warrants or there was nothing they needed to be aware of. But while this was being done, a baby began crying. Oh, I thought she was alone. So so the female said that it wasn't her baby. It's coming from somewhere else. And the crying stopped. So he couldn't really listen and hear where it was coming from. So he was like, okay. (laughs) But then the baby starts crying again and continues. And he's able to pinpoint that, yes, it is coming from her apartment. So the female occupant then said, is it okay if I go in and get my baby? And the officer said, sure, but I'm going to be going with you because you lied about anybody being anybody else being in the home with you. So I will be going with you. Well, and she lied about the baby itself, saying it wasn't hers. It wasn't hers. Right. So when the officers walked into the apartment, they saw that the baby was okay. She picked him up and everything was fine. But one of the officers also noticed a butcher knife in the kitchen. It appeared to have blood on it. Ugh. But the baby's fine. So you're okay on this case. Don't worry. It has nothing to do with the baby. You can edit this out, but is this another story of someone stealing another person's baby? No. Think about the mother-in-law situation. Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, okay. So once the bloody knife was observed, one of the officers went to do a walkthrough of the rest of the apartment. So he goes off in one direction and you have the female occupant standing in the same room. It's kind of like a living room area that's off of the kitchen in the apartment. And the other officer stays with her. And all of a sudden she says, 
the officer, like, steps towards her, probably just to, like, get closer and ask some questions and things like that. And all of a sudden, she holds her baby out to, like, create distance between them. Kind of throws him off, and he's kind of like, what's going on? And she says, can you hold my baby? And he's like, um, no. She then asks the officer again, can you hold my baby? And he refuses. And this time she kind of shoved the babies in his arms. And the officer asked, why do I need to hold your baby? And she said, because I'm going to run. So she kind of like <laughs> threw the baby into the officer's arms and takes off. What? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So way to use a human shield. And it's a newborn baby. Okay. All right. Well, at least she thought about that before she just took off. Like, she she actually thought about the well-being of the baby. I guess. Like, throwing a baby that has no control in its neck. I don't know. It's weird. Anyways, I find it to be <laughs> totally weird. So this officer, like, has a moment of, like, holding this baby and looking <laughs> at it. And he sets the baby down on the floor and is like, yo, bro, I got to go after this lady. Can you handle the baby? So he takes oh off. He gosh. lays the baby on the floor and then he takes off after her. And... The other officer comes up and holds the baby and they finish walking through the, they're finished going through the rooms together, which I'm like, is that against protocol? That seems kind of dangerous. You don't really know the situation. Why are you taking the baby with you to like clear the rooms? I, I don't, don't know. It's just I don't know. so weird. And they probably didn't know either. Right? Such a weird situation. Such a weird situation. So he caught up with her in the courtyard of the apartment complex. So she didn't get very far. And he obviously asked her why she ran. Do you want to take a stab at what she said, Lady Ace? Was that a pun? Maybe. Uh. Um, well, assuming there's a butcher knife with blood on it, and once they started searching the apartment, she decided to give up her baby and run, she probably stabbed her mother-in-law? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> but it's kind of weird. So her response was, because I murdered someone. Okay. So obviously, the officer placed her in his patrol car. And meanwhile, the other officer had found another female deceased in the apartment of apparent stab wounds. The officer then asked the now captured female if she had any weapons on her. And all she did was handed him the deceased girl's, air quotes, cell phone. She says, this is the girl's cell phone. She said that? Yes. Okay. So our now confessed killer was transported to the police station for questioning. The police officer who was taking her statement noticed that her clothes appeared bloody and that the smell of bleach permeated off of our killer. It was just so strong. Mm. And she then asked for new socks because hers were bloody. That's literally what she said. She even tried to hide it. Her socks were bloody. Okay. Okay. Yes. So the officer then asked if she had a stressful day. <laughs> I kind of thought that was funny. This was in the police affidavit. And I was like, no, she's fine. She uh, rainbows and butterflies, bro. Yeah, totally. And she just said, I just killed someone. Like, <laughs> bro, what do you think? <laughs> So she waived her Miranda rights and provided a full statement. 
She told the officer that she had just been released from the hospital for hallucinations just two days before. Oh, goodness. And that she was suicidal. But I can't find anywhere in any of my sources that actually said that they found where she was hospitalized. Mm, So she may have just said that? Yeah, because... I'm like, that should have been pretty easy to mm-hmm. find out. I don't know. Maybe where was this? Colorado Springs. I don't know. I don't I don't really know what goes into like the HIPAA laws and stuff. So right. But you think laws. that if she's going to spill the beans, she was probably like, I was at Colorado Springs crazy person hospital. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe and they the- could be like, excuse me, this is. Yeah. You don't give me any, like, specifics, but did you have somebody by such and such name that was hospitalized? Maybe. I don't know how that works either. But you would think that would be something they could figure out pretty quickly. Maybe, yeah. And she has a husband, so not well, sure. Yeah. Where was he? I don't know. There's hardly any information, and the trial was so, like straightforward there wasn't like witnesses called like none of that because it was basically like yes i killed her and here's why so anyways totally crazy so so she had just been released from the hospital for hallucinations but she wasn't suicidal just murderous i guess i guess wouldn't you keep her if she was murderous homicidal see and that's another thing like mental health is such a tricky thing Because you can, like, admit yourself for it, but you can also be like, I'm out. Right. Well, and if you are very cunning, you can trick doctors and psychiatrists. Right. But then there is also, like, if you are batshit crazy, they can hold you against your will for so many hours. So that's why I'm like, this is tricky. What really happened here? Yeah. Um. Anyways, that's that's kind of a crazy part of the story I wish we knew more about. So her hallucinations were about her victim. She said that the victim was going to take everything away from her. Oh. Well, so um, when the officers asked who she was, she replied, Jason's mother. Oh. Jason is her husband. Therefore, the victim is her mother-in-law. Apparently not for long, though, because according to witnesses that the cops can't, you know, when they went around canvassing the neighborhood or tried to get more information on the day of the crime, these women hated each other, hated like they would argue for hours. So her and Jason were getting divorced And so his, her victim, whose name is Deborah, had come from San Francisco to help our killer with her newborn baby granddaughter. That would make me want to murder someone, too. Someone just coming out to, like, be nice to me. Um, I can't say I feel the same way. Yeah, weird. I don't know. And I know so many Mothers that, like, want that to happen. Oh, for sure. Those first couple weeks. Definitely. Whatever. Especially if those are first. Yeah, for sure. So, anyways, there were tons of instances where neighbors just listened to these two women go at it forever. So, 
I'm kind of surprised, and that's probably why they didn't have any noise complaints was because they were like, this is normal. It's during the day. But when things started flying off the balcony, that's like, we're drawing the line. We're going to do a noise (laughs) complaint. I don't know. (laughs) I still want to know what was flying off the balcony. I really think it was just whatever was in reach. I think she was like enraged and just was just throwing shit around. Jeez. I don't know. So apparently this is how the murder went down. Our killer wasn't even living at the apartment, actually, where the baby and Jason and his mother, Deborah, were. Um, Since she and Jason were divorcing, she moved out and into a hotel. Then she was living on the streets. Then she spent some time in the hospital and came back home to work things out with Jason and had been staying at the apartment two nights before the murder took place. Okay. Can we just take a second and appreciate this poor mother-in-law's situation? Could you imagine this situation like... You're coming here to meet your grandbaby, to have some fun, be the sweet grandma. And this is just like crazy, tumultuous yeah, craziness and, going on around you. And I wonder if she felt that or this killer was dangerous or if she just felt that she was crazy. Right. I, I And it doesn't go into that. And we do find out later that this killer actually was um, diagnosed with bipolar when she was 10. And she didn't treat it. Okay. So, and I know some people don't treat bipolar. So I, and it doesn't go into like how serious it is. There's obviously different levels and manic phases and, yeah. and all sorts of things that yeah. go into that. Yeah. So there's bipolar one and bipolar two. Okay. So bipolar 2 is not very severe. Bipolar 1 is where they you have the manic episode. So I'm guessing I'm guessing she she's was bipolar bipolar one. number 1 and yeah. should have been on medication. Yeah. I would assume so. So our killer went to work preparing for the murder. Okay, so her first step, she offered to make Deborah dinner to say thank you for everything she had been doing. Two, she brought free weights and a weight bar from the spare bedroom into the living room. Why? Well, obviously, Deborah didn't, like, see this happening, or she probably would have been like, why are you bringing those out of the bedroom? Or you going to work out? Yeah, you have so dinner? I'm guessing they were probably, like, pushed off to the side, and it wasn't something that she was like, why are those there? You know, it was just maybe inconspicuous. Okay. Okay. Then number three... A few days before, she had purchased some knives. A few days? So she had been planning this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So under the guise of preparing a nice dinner for Deborah, under the guise of preparing a nice dinner, Deborah relaxed and got on the computer to check her Facebook and whatever. She had some time to herself. So while Deborah was sitting at the computer, our killer was boiling some water. When it was to a boil, she thought came over and threw it on Deborah, who then fell off of her chair in pain. Oh, my gosh. That's horrible. That's torture. That escalated. Oh, yeah. Pretty quickly. So this was part of our plan. This is exactly what she wanted. She wanted Deborah to be distracted with pain so that she could then go and grab the 25-pound free weight and throw it at Deborah's head. Holy shit. 
And then once she did that, she continued to beat her with the weighted bar. What? Right? Like, wow. Who even thinks about this elaborate plan? I just would like to point out as well that our killer is 19. What? That's why I said literal girl. 19. 19. Oh, my gosh. Crazy bananas. Okay. So, at this point, our killer was unsure if Deborah was dead. And so, at this time, she went and got the knives that she had hid in the laundry room. And stabbed her once in the abdomen, a couple times in the heart, and throat. Our killer then puts gloves on. Oh, nice way to think ahead. Yeah. And then dragged Deborah into the spare room of the apartment and placed her under an air mattress. Under? Yes. So just like put an air mattress over her body? Yeah, it's a good hiding spot, you don't think? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) She then began cleaning the apartment before her husband was due to come home. But before that could happen, the neighbors called the police. So that concludes the story of the murder. When asked why she killed her mother-in-law, she said she was never liked by her mother-in-law, and she was sick of being pushed around. So she definitely was situation number three at the beginning of her story. Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) So, of course, she was then arrested on the charges of first-degree murder. She was held in the El Paso County Jail without bond, March 10th of 2013, she entered a not guilty plea. Okay, November 6th of 2013, our killer, Elizabeth Rainey's trial, started even though her lawyer tried to argue that his client had a diminished mental state. Prosecutors, however, countered that Elizabeth Rainey seemed to understand the questions asked and didn't show any signs of mental distress. And her lawyers surprisingly never did enter the plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Because they probably knew it wasn't going to go in their favor. Right. Because look at all the steps and the planning she took. So therefore, I'm sure that's why. But I was kind of surprised because I feel like everyone tries to use that plea. Well, yeah, at least (laughs) once. And then they go back to square one. Right. Yeah. So January 31st of 2014, she pleaded guilty to second degree murder. On April 4th of 2014, a year and a day after she killed her mother-in-law, Elizabeth Rainey was sentenced to 41 years in prison. Wow. But really. 41. But she's only 19. So again. 20 at this point. But yeah. So she's in her 60s. Yeah. Oh, man. Is she up for parole or did it say any of that? No, it it wasn't with possibility of parole or anything like that. So she'll probably serve her 41 years. Man, hopefully she gets some help, mental help and medication. And she obviously needs it. But definitely now on to the D, which is for the dick move. 
Later on in her confession, Elizabeth actually admits to forcing bleach into her mother-in-law's mouth and nostrils just to cause extra pain. So she was alive. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this poor Deborah. Right? Oh. And I really, 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 really tried to find some information to be like, this mother-in-law's got to be like a total biatch, right? Like, to have someone go to this length. Like, I wanted to find something that, like, proved this lady was crazy as well, right? And you just had two crazy women. But I could find nothing that corroborated that. Because we always want to look for a reason. Yeah, because our brains just cannot comprehend just snapping and killing somebody. Exactly. So, this poor lady just came to help her son. And... She was murdered by this crazy lady who obviously needed to be on medication. This crazy child. She's a baby. She was 19. And how do you get there in such a short amount of life? To just be so deranged and jaded, I guess, to do that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was a crazy story. Yeah, that's and I was like, there's tons of other killers I could have done it on that people would have known. Um, you know, there was a, there's a lot of serial killers with the last name R. Yeah, but I was like, been there, done that. And we haven't had like a mother-in-law story yet. Yeah, we so. haven't. <laughs> Trying wow, to branch out. That, that was shocking. Yeah. So that is the case of Elizabeth Rainey, and I wish I could give you an update i hope her baby and husband are doing fine and they've been able to move on and live as normal life as possible after all that trauma so right well thank you that was a good one yeah thanks so much for tuning in please like subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform also follow us on facebook instagram and tiktok at abc crime podcast and for case photos and source materials you will find that after each episode on our instagram page and please send us any case suggestions to our email at abc crime podcast at gmail.com this has been an a and b conversation so, so see, see you next week, week.